Just as a quick show of hands, how many of you can remember a, a dinner table meal with the family that kind of went like that? Yes, thank you for being honest in church. This is, this is good. Welcome to Home for the Holidays. This is a series that's not about the holidays. It's not about Christmas and Thanksgiving. It's about dealing with your family during Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's, it's, it's a, a, a series. We do things in series. We talk about things for three, four, five, six weeks um, until there's nothing else to talk about, and then we pick another topic to go for. And this one is, the, the goal of this series is to get you ready to interact with your family, to get you ready to be home for the holidays. So that's what this is all about. And here's, here's the thing. We all have very, very different families, right? But here's what we have in common. First, we all have one, right? Second, we didn't choose them. We didn't get to go to the family store and pick one up, you know, like pick out which one we wanted. We were just born into one. And then the third one, the, another thing that we have in common, I think that's really, really important it, to, to recognize is that all family is messy. Every, every family has mess. Every family has a period or a you know, person or a, you know, something about it that just makes it difficult, challenging. And I want, actually, I think it's really important for all of us to understand that this morning, that all family is messy whether it's a small family, medium family, large family, traditional family, blended family, um, second marriage, between marriage, um, raising kids, raising somebody else's kids, nuclear family. I never understood that term, nuclear family. Like, is your family nuclear? Oh, yeah, we're atomic at times. You know, like, it's just like, what is that? And, you know, like, I don't know why the term came. But my, my point is, all family is messy, not just yours. And that's kind of comforting to know because misery loves company, right? I mean, if, if nothing else, it's good to know that it's not just your family that has problems. All family is messy. And obviously, this is not a new phenomenon. It's not a modern phenomenon. It's something that's existed forever. Um, and in fact, you might have not ever thought about it this way, but if you open the Bible and you look for a good example of a family, you'll be very hard-pressed to find one. <laughs> Old Testament or New Testament. The Old Testament deals with the time before Jesus Christ, and then the New Testament is from Jesus Christ on. Doesn't matter, but especially in the Old Testament. In fact, here's a really good exercise. If you're ever feeling down on your family, and you're like, man, we are messed up, do yourself a favor, find your Bible, open it, and start, you don't have to go far in the Old Testament to find a lot of jacked up families to the point where you'd be like, honey, honey, come look at this. I, I think there's hope for us. We're not that bad. I mean, we're not doing this stuff. This is insane. Honestly, in, in the Bible, you've, you'll find that maybe there is hope for you because the, the point, the, uh, here's the point. Um, there, the messy families in the Old Testament, the messiness of the families in the Old Testament did not disqualify those families for God to use them and to do something through them. So likewise, your messy family isn't disqualified from, from God using your family and yourself, which is kind of good to know. There's just, I mean, there's just too many examples in the Old Testament of God doing pretty powerful things through jacked up families. So you're in good company if you don't like your family, if you find that it's messy. That's the Old Testament. When you get to the New Testament and you look for good examples of family, it's hard to find hardly any examples of family, and it's hard to find any good ones. In fact, there's this one little gem that the only, the only um, 
the only story we have of Jesus growing up is, and some of you guys might be familiar with this, is where Mary and Joseph do a road trip to Jerusalem. And, and on their way back, they kind of look at each other like, hey, where's Jesus? Do you have Jesus? No, I don't have Jesus. You have Jesus? And, and Mary probably might have said something like this to Joseph, like, you lost the Son of God. Like, like you can't find him. You know, and, and, and I would imagine that, that Joseph would have replied by playing this card that some of us play sometimes. He's not my son, <laughs> he's your son, which he could actually play that card. You know, Miss Immaculate Conception, you know, like this is your son. Yeah, I, had, I did not lose it. Anyway, so they rushed back to the temple and this is big mess because they lost Jesus. That, see, in the New Testament, there aren't any really good examples of family either. What we do find in the New Testament, where we're going to camp today that that's helpful to, to begin our discussion on, on dealing with, with family is when you get to the New Testament, you find some lists of how families are to interact. Some lists of, you know, how specifically, um, and, and these lists are helpful, they're, they're simple. Um, they kind of go like this. This is a summary of the lists that you can find in the New Testament of how families are to interact. It says, husbands are to love your wives and be considerate. Wives are to submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. And dads, don't annoy your kids. <laughs> that's basically the extent of it. And, and you, you, you look at it and say, okay, that's pretty simple. But I, I, yeah, like I'm sure, like love my wife perfectly. How am I supposed to do that? You might think to yourself, submit to my husband. Have you met my husband for crying out loud? You know, and kids are being like, obey my parents. My parents haven't had an original thought since like 1992. Like I'm, I'm supposed to listen to them. You know, I don't, I don't know what your story is. Dads, you know, you might say, uh, I'm not supposed to annoy my kids. My kids annoy me. <laughs> they frustrate the mess out of me. And, and, and we might push back and say, that's, that's too overwhelming. That's too oversimple. But we're still going to talk about it today. We're going to talk about one of these lists um, and we're going to look at it, and, and just for fun, before we dive into the list, look at that list up there. Uh, which one of the, the, um, the lists, of the list up there seems the least PC? Which one of it seems the most old-fashioned? Which one of it's like, I can't believe this is in, even in the Bible? Which one's like, nobody likes that verse, especially women? Which one would that be? Yes, this. Uh, I'm calling out the elephant in the room. This, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And some of us actually like verses like this because it allows us to point at the Bible and say, see, this is the, the, it's an archaic book that, that can't be trusted and therefore doesn't apply to me. And if, if you have that pushback, I really am glad you're here today because honestly, there's, there's sometimes where you, you come across that in, in the Bible and you're like, what is that? Or you've heard people talk about you know, th what it means to believe this. And, and so um, and I'm glad you're here today. And, and here's, here's what we're reacting against. When we see passages like wives submit to your husbands, what we're pushing against is the mental picture, the connotations that come with the fra phrase, the, bag the baggage that comes with the idea of wives having to submit to men. Um, we, what comes to mind, the mental picture is, is Cinderella, but instead of an ugly stepmother and stepsisters, we've got an ugly dude, you know, saying, make me dinner, you know, or whatever. Um, we, we got the connotations of a 1950s woman in go-go boots waiting for her husband to come home. Um, or, or even worse, 
maybe, maybe this represents for us a, a worldview um, that can make and turn women into a second-rate citizen um, where they don't have as much rights as men or they're in, in pushed into submission by men. See, that what we're envisioning is what we'd push against, when we push against something like this, is forced submission. And just so you know, we should push against that. that that's, that's not cool. That's not what I'm condoning or upholding today. In fact, if you are in a situation, in, I, I wanna, uh, very seriously, if you are in a situation as a woman where you are, are, are in pushed into submission by a man, you need to get out. You need to do whatever you can to get safe. And in fact, we would help you. If, if, if you're hear me, please, we would love to help you get out of a bad situation. If you're a, a young lady here today, and it, it, I want you to know this, if, if you're a young lady and if you've ever, in the future, if you ever feel like you're, you're being forced to do something you know, for a man, by a man, you need to slap him and get out of there and go find your dad. Hint, he's in the garage cleaning his shotgun. <laughs> because you're precious. You're worth fighting for. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to say that up front. Because when we come to this idea of submission, I know that's a loaded word. And, and, and honestly, if, if you have been hurt by a man in the past and you don't know what to do with that, please don't buy into the lie that it's your fault, that there's nothing you can do about it, that, or, or that you're alone because the, the reality is we live in a country where one in three women have been assaulted probably by a male. And so we got to talk about it. We need, to, we, need to, we need to address that before we dive into a topic where it talks about wives submitting to their husbands. I just want to be really clear as to what I'm not condoning this morning. And what the New Testament that doesn't condone. And what our writer, his name's Paul, we're going to look at his list today, what he's not condoning. Um, because here's the, here's the thing. Um, it actually, it's kind, of, it's kind of the opposite. Once you dive into this passage, so, so let's look at that passage. This is Ephesians 5.22. This is Paul writing, and he writes this. He says, Wives, Submit to your, hus your own husband as you do to the Lord. And if that was the only instruction that Paul was giving, hey, families, this is what you to do. Wives, submit to your husbands. I would have a huge problem with it, but it's not. You'll see, this is verse 22. 522 says that. In verse five, uh, 521, we'll see here in a second, you'll see the context of this passage. The passage right before this passage, or the verse right before this verse Paul calls the family and he says, he says, listen, women are not the only ones to submit, but rather in a family scenario, member, you know, I, I, he proposes that members submit to each other. Check this out. This is verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, Paul pulls the whole family together. He's about to go through, talk to wives, talk to husbands, talk to kids, talk to parents. But Prior to that whole conversation, he says this in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says this is what makes good family. He says before we get started, before we get to your specific job descriptions, I want to make one thing clear. The best family 
is the one who pulls a Jesus and submits to one another the way that Jesus submitted to us on the cross. He says that's what makes for good family. That's the letterhead. Verse 21 is the letterhead and the theme for this whole section that follows. Paul couches the whole conversation on family on this one big idea. And this big idea is is what we're going to call mutual submission. In fact, just say that with me. Mutual submission. It's, It's the opposite of forced submission. Mutual submission is the fact that when, when two people or a group of people say, I am going to leverage my time, my power, my assets for your benefit. That's what mutual submission is. Here's the, here's, this will help it stick in your brain because I've been preparing this for a couple weeks. And as I've been preparing it, I thought of the, I've been thinking of the phrase, it's really just a race to the back of the line. It's just a continual race to the back of the line. You want to make a good family? You want to make your family a great place to be? You do this and train, though, you know, if, you have, if you're a parent, uh, train your kids to make it a race to the back of the line. I'm going to, to leverage my stuff, my power, my assets for your benefit. And when members do that, race to the back of the line, that's good family. Do you want to know what a marriage is? Marriage is just simply a submission competition. That's all it is. Marriage is, is to, think about it, think about it. When you think of any vows, it doesn't matter if they're Christian vows or, you know, like the people, you know, different faith backgrounds. When you see vows at a wedding, what are they saying to each other? I'm going to put you first. I vow to you, love you above every other. I vow to go to the back of the line till death do us part, Right? Every vow, like you'll see that kind of element, this idea of mutual submission. I'm going to leverage all of me for you. I'm going to use what, who I am and what I have for your benefit. I'm going to offer, lend, and loan all I have for all that you need. That's some romantic crap right there. That's what, that's what, that's what marriages are, are, are built on. Good marriages are built on. I am here for you, not for me. And see, mutual submission catch this, is the most powerful relational dynamic in the world. Show me a group of people, and and you can can answer this yourself, look at groups of people or marriages or families that you admire by the way they treat one another, and they're constantly just putting each other before themselves, because that's what mutual submission does, and Paul says to leverage that in your your family, get it working for you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, all of you. And then he gets specific in the verses to follow. And this is what he says. This is, you know, then he says, this is how wives should, this is how husbands, this is how kids, this is how parents. Let's, let's look at that. So Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. Again, again the wives are called to submit the, the word submit here in this verse isn't even present in the verse, in the Greek. It's not even present. It's borrowing it from the, the, the you know, remember what I said above? All of us submit. Wives, you're going to do that for your husbands because he's in charge. Now, why are men in charge? I have no idea. Honestly, I think it's a bad idea. <laughs> a lot of times I think it's really not, you know, like maybe the best idea. But I do know this. Somebody needs to be charged. Leadership is important, 
on, on all sorts of different levels, even small ones. And you might not agree with this, but there's the, like, and you might have a different structure in your family. But the, someone's leading, someone's making decisions. Again, if we stop there, I would have a problem with it. But he goes on to say, you know, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then he says in Ephesians 5.25, he says, husbands, so wives, you do this. Husbands, you need to do this. Love your wives. Just, and, 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 and before we go on, you have the, the, the context in the, the Greek-Roman world that Paul was writing this in. Guys would have been like, wait, 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 I'm supposed to love my wife? Like, to us, we're like, of course love. You know, remember the whole marriage thing and, you know, on the altar? And, and, and Paul would say, no, like, in Paul's day, this was a big idea. This was actually countercultural. Like, I need to like my wife? Isn't she just, you know, part of, like, my stuff? You know, like, they were literally, women were looked at as, as part of a dowry or, you know, is dowry right the word? Is that the right word? I think, like, part of the estate. And Paul is saying, husbands, love your wives. And he, not just love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, if you want to know what this looks like to love your wife, all, all you need to do is remember Christ and what Christ did, mainly what he did on the cross. Christ, who allowed Roman soldiers to nail him, stretch him out on a beam, and nail him to a cross, it, where, where, where in order to breathe, you have to you have nails in your feet and nails in your hand, you have to push up like this in order to even breathe. That's how I want you to love your wives. You see the submission that, that, that Paul is calling men to? This, this, this is huge. And, 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 and here's what happens when we when we as husbands love our wives in a, in a sacrificial way, it says to them, yes, okay, maybe I'm in charge, but I still have your back. And if you've ever had a good boss, if you've ever had a good boss, you know what this is like because you know that, like there's a hierarchy, there's an org chart, and technically she's above you like on the, in that org chart, but man, it doesn't feel that way, right? Because a good boss, you know that she's for you, Right? And what Paul is saying is, husbands, be a good boss. If, you, if, if you're in charge, make sure you're a good, you know, be a boss like Christ and race to the back of the line constantly. Just keep racing to the back of the line to serve and care for her. I've been thinking about that phrase a lot, and it gets me off the couch when there's dishes to be done, when there's things to do. And, and I was talking with somebody this week, and we're talking about a lot of times, especially when we're younger, we think it's the big stuff, right, that expresses our love. And we both agreed, no, it's the little things, the little ways that, that we submit, men, that we submit to our, our wives and say, no, 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 I will go first. I will do these things first to, to, to lighten your load. I will leverage my assets and my ability and my time for your benefit. You see this? You know, like, she, she, submits to, 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 or she submits to you, and, and you give up your life for her. She respects you, and, and, and you, you, you just keep giving. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's what we all want, isn't it? In a relationship like that. Paul would say that's the power of mutual submission. And this is what happens when people race to the back of the line. 
Paul then goes on to talk to children. He says this in Ephesians 6.1. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then he, it, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. What he's doing here is he's quoting actually both Deuteronomy and Exodus in the Old Testament. He's pulling from the, the Levitical law and saying, remember how it says this? There's a, there's a promise so that it may go well with you. Children, obey your parents. In other words, submit your actions to their guidance. When you, when, and when you too, but especially like when you get in those teenage years, that's not even teenage years, my kids do this for crying out loud. You come to this impasse where it's like, they want to go this way and you're like, no, you wanna, I want you to go this way. Kids, when you come to an impasse, to obey your parents, to submit to them, means you submit to their request. You go to the back of the line because you are to obey your parents because they're your parents. And all the parents in here say, amen. And all the kids say, blech. Because that's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes when they ask you to do something, it doesn't feel like, like, like it doesn't feel like they're for, you know, like whatever. Paul, Paul, and Paul, but Paul makes this really interesting observation, pulling again from Exodus and Deuteronomy. He says, with this, you know, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. I mean, this is a commandment that has a promise that goes along with it. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life here on earth. And I was thinking about it this week in preparation for this. It's, it's actually pretty simple. This is not rocket science. Because here's the thing. Our willingness to submit to authority will determine our happiness in life. Am I right? Your willingness, you, you students, your kids, your willingness to submit to authority will, it will determine part of your happiness in life. If nothing else, it'll keep you out of prison, which will keep you happy. You know what I mean? There's a very practical sense. But honestly, it goes beyond just simply like being able to, you know, follow through and, and show respect and follow orders and keep a job. Beyond that, there's another layer of this that beyond that, it keeps you, it sets you up when, when you're willing to, when you practice submitting to authority over you that you don't necessarily look up to or respect or agree with, it sets you up in the future for, for, uh, it, for genuine relationships that can only be built with people on trust, on, on submitting to one another. You're practicing submission, which will come in handy later. But maybe the biggest thing and the reason why I think this will go well for you, like Paul says, like he's quoting Deuteronomy, the reason why this will go well, it will lead to long life for you, is because submission here with our earthly mother and father helps us learn submission to our heavenly father. Because there are times when God will ask us, if you are a follower of, 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 of a God follower, a God fearer, there are times, you know this, when God will ask us to do something we don't like or we don't understand. And we have to obey our Heavenly Father. We have to submit to His guidance, even when we don't understand. See, children, go to the back of the line. Obey your parents. Submit to your parents. And here's the good news. You don't have to do it for that long because they're getting old. No, let me rephrase that. No, 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 no. The older you get... <laughs> The older you get, the less authority they actually have on your life. You maybe are already experienced this if you're a teenager. You have a lot more autonomy than you did a couple years ago. 
And that only increases. And this is a period of time where you, you get to, you know, give it your best, give it your all, and honor your parents. And there'll come a time where you'll have your own autonomy and you can do what you want. But in the meantime, obey your parents. If you acquiesce to their request, it will go well with you. In turn, so that's what Paul says to do for, for kids. Now he turns and he talks to fathers or parents. He says this, Ephesians 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, in order to unpack this, I want to introduce you to Josh's two rules for parenting. It used to be one. I used to have just one rule. Don't freak out, <laughs> which is a really good rule. I didn't make it up. Somebody else told me, and i like, that's a really good rule. So, like, take that to the bank. Use that one. There's a second rule that I've come across that's, I think, just as important as don't freak out. It's don't be a jerk. And I, I'm dead serious. Like, like, your job as a parent is not to be a jerk and to not freak out. But let's talk about not being a jerk. Here's why this is so important. As parents, it is 100% possible to be absolutely right and at the same time really annoying. Think back to when you were a kid and your parents, like you even look back at when your parents pushed on something and they were dead right. You were dead wrong. But they did it in such a way that just aggravated you frustrated you, infuriated you. There are ways to be correct and frustrate the mess out of your children. Don't do that. That's what Paul is saying. Don't do that. And here is why. Fathers, parents, don't exasperate your children because when you do, every time you, 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 anytime you, you take advantage of the fact you have authority, you should stay away. When I was a kid and my parents would say to me, you know, go do this. I'm like, I don't want to do that. Why do I need to do that? Because I said so. That was like the worst phrase ever. I say that now. I'm a parent and I say I'm that parent. It's horrible. <laughs> Play that card as little as possible when, with parenting. Don't take advantage. Don't lord your authority over them. But in, in, in other ways, like, you know, like when your you're three-year-old's having a tantrum on the ground, everything in me when a three-year-old's having a tantrum on the ground in Target is, is to ju just join them and just try to show them how ridiculous they are. I told you about this game that we used to play, used to play because we found out it was not good. On Thursday nights, every, it hits the fan at, at the Donoff household. I don't know what it is about Thursday nights. The kids have hit their wall, and they start crying, and they, you know, like, and, and Chrissy and I devise a game where anytime there's two or more kids crying, you get a point. And so we'd count points on Thursday nights, like two points, three points, until Jovi, our eight-year-old, the oldest, started saying, three points, <laughs> when the little two were crying. And we were like, this is not, see, that's exasperating your children. Don't do that. That's not application right there. Like, we shouldn't treat, we, it, we, because when we do, we drastically undermine the message that we are for them. You know what I mean? Like, when we, when we, we lord power over them, you know, like, Join the, we drastically undermine the message that we're constantly trying to get across to them as parents that I am for you, child. And if we exasperate them, 
but we, it, it might be true. We are totally for them, but they don't feel that, and therefore they don't trust us, and it's even harder for them to submit to the things we want them to do. And honestly, when your kid's you know, laying on the ground, or your, your, your teenage son or daughter is telling you every wrong thing that you've ever done as a parent, like it's their job, like it's like, how do you, you just write this down? Or like, this is amazing. When, you're do, when they're doing that, it'll feel like submission not to hit them back with exactly everything they've done wrong. It'll feel like going to the back of the line. And it is. Because you, you are right. But you're submitting to them and saying, I love you and I want you to know if I'm for you, so I will not lower myself to where you have gone. It's hard. That's difficult. But imagine, you know, this parenting relationship where the kids obey their parents and parents do their best to make sure that everything that they're doing, they're, even their disciplining, yes, you need to train them up in the ways of righteousness as this phrase says it. We are responsible for that. But in the process, are we, are we crushing them? Let's make sure we're not crushing them. So that's what Paul said. And even if you don't agree with everything, you know, like the way the, the family structure that he proposes, that's fine. I, I, it, but don't miss the power of verse 21. The, the power of mutual submission, the idea that I will leverage my power, my time, my assets for your benefit because it has the chance to, to change your family. It's a race to the back of the line. I'm going to get under your burden for your sake. I'm going to leverage all of me for you. And, and see, what, I, what I'm hoping for is in the next couple weeks, I want you to practice doing this with your family for the big game on Thanksgiving. <laughs> for when you come to your extended family. Because it's hard. But the same thing needs to happen there. Where you submit mutually to them. And you, you're, it, you're willing to, to go under their burden and use your time, your assets for their benefit. And it'll take steps towards a, a not as messy family. Here's the question that goes with mutual submission. This is the the question that mutual submission begs us to ask, and this is your application for today. This is what I want you to do. One of the best ways for you to go to the back of the line with your family is to constantly ask this question. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? What can I do, what what of my power and ability to do to help you. We, we do this with our kids when they, when they hurt one another. We, you know, we make them say sorry, and it's such sincere apologies that we get out of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we also follow it up with make them ask this question. But I want you to ask the question, what can I do to help? How can I, what can I do to make things better based on what, because of what I did to you? And it, it doesn't always work, I'll be honest. But it does, it's hard to ask that question insincerely. What can I do to help? In fact, just, just say this with me. What can I do to help? Here's what this does. Kids, if you do this, if once a day you go to your parents and say, Mom, Dad, what can I do to help? I, I'm telling you, it's a game changer. Your, your parents will have to 
pick themselves up off the floor if you do this. Like, I, honestly, like, come home next time tomorrow after school, come home from school, be, and be like, hey, before I go upstairs and start doing homework, mom and dad, is there anything I can do to help you? Like, like you might make tears come out of your mom's face. No, no, if you want to make tears come out of your mom's face, do that, do that, um, ask your siblings, your younger sibling, your older sibling, hey, little Johnny, is there anything I can do to help you? If your mom overhears that, she will cry <laughs> in the best way possible. It's hard to explain, but it's hard to explain why that's so meaningful to us to watch our children care for one another, but it's true. Do that if you really, really want to get a lot of points. Wait until your mom and dad have some friends over for dinner. Right around the ending of dinner, just, you know, kind of go into the dining room and be like, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to just go, I'm going out with some friends, but before I go, is there anything I can do to help? <laughs> their friends, when you leave the room and do whatever it is to, to help your mom and dad, their friends will just, they'll get down on their knees and say, teach us, please. <laughs> we know nothing about parenting. Please instruct us in your ways. It, it's, it's really good stuff. Parents, depending on the stage of parenting that you're in, isn't it true that things can get negative really fast? And, and just, just so you know, kids that are in the room, it's not our intention. We really are for you. We don't want to make a negative environment. But here's, here's my challenge for, for you parents. At least once or twice a day, in the midst of getting them out of school and don't do this and stop doing that and don't do that, definitely don't do that, you know, like all the negativity. Make sure there's a few, what can I do to help you, honeys, in there? And, and what this does is it keeps the conversation from going negative all the time, and it really helps express to our kids, hey, 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 I am for you. Yes, we're going to get to school on time, and we're going to do it, and we're gonna, I don't have to sign in late and do the whole what can I do to help? I, I really am for you, dear. Ladies, wives, girlfriends, fiancés, as you're trying to, to love us men, um, for the, for like if you come and ask us this question, probably, probably what's going to happen first is you, the first couple times you'll be like, uh-uh, nope. You know, what can I do to help? Nothing. Because, you know, I don't know why. It's e blame it on ego, blame it on whatever but we don't like to take help. But, but here's, just so you know, even if we don't take you up on it, here's what it communicates to us. I know you, can you carry a burden, and I want to help you carry that burden as much as I can. It, it does, we might not show it, but it means a lot to us to know that you are willing to go to the back of the line for us, that you're willing to submit to what we need, uh, even if we don't take it. Um, Men, this might be hardest for us to, to, to humble ourselves and say, you know, what can I do to help? Um, we're, we're usually, men are usually the first ones to retreat, to kind of just kind of step back. Here's what we do. Our, our asking this, what can I do to help? Our, our, our willingness to submit to our family members might have the most potency, might actually have the most power in the whole entire family to turn, turn, if things are going negative in your family, we might actually, the good news is, is man, we might have the most potential and opportunity to turn those things good and to turn those things positive. Especially our boys. Uh, if, if you have sons, and, and that even adult sons, they're watching. 
you. They're watching and they're taking cues from you. And so when you, as the man of the house, if that's, you know, your title or, you know, when you bend a knee for your, your wife, for your kids, it, it says a lot. What can I do to help? Now, I know just by even bringing this up and saying, now go do this, I made it harder to do it. <laughs> because now if you go do it and, you know, like husbands will go home and like, anything going to do to help? Oh, so you finally listened to the preacher. You know, like well, that's what we're afraid <laughs> people are going to say. But honestly, I, I don't let that stop you because what you get to say, by, by saying that, even though, yes, it's, it's my advice, it's your way of saying, hey, I'm in. I want to lean in for our family. I want to make our family a better place by submitting to you and to each other. Here's why we won't do this. <laughs> Here's why we won't do this. It's fear. And the person who's most afraid in the room right now is the person who's here all by themselves <laughs> and their family is not with them. <laughs> because like, our fear is like if, if you're the mother of the family and like, you listen to this and you're like, now I'm going to go and I'll, I'll submit to my husband and my kids and, and that kind of stuff. And your fear is you're going to be the only one submitting to all of the other family members and, and it'll just be like, it won't be mutual submission, it'll be mom submission. <laughs> And, and like everybody will be like, man, I love it when mom goes to church because then we don't have to do anything. It's great. You know, like that's what we're afraid of. And I want us to circle back around to the very first verse, verse 21. It says, submit to one another, not out of reverence for each other, not out of reverence for your family, because frankly, they don't deserve it sometimes. It says, out of reverence for Christ. If you're a God follower, if you're a God fearer, if you follow Jesus, you don't really have a choice. <laughs> He's called us to live a certain way. He's called us to carry our cross. And our inspiration for following him isn't our family, isn't out of love for our family sometimes. Sometimes we have to do it in spite of what our family is doing. We have to you know, submit to them. It, it, our inspiration comes from the fact that Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you and for me and for everybody in the world knowing that some of those people would not accept it. That some of, those, some of the people that he would die for would act like he would never even did it. Act like, like God doesn't even exist. And, and, and his, I pictured this kind of going this way. It probably didn't happen this way, but like God the Father was up in heaven and looking down on this mess that earth had become. And Jesus came over. Again, this is Josh, not the Bible. But Jesus came over and he said, man, that's a mess. And God's like, yeah. I wonder if Jesus said, what can I do to help? And God the Father said, you can help, but you're not going to like it. I want you to go and submit to people who will refuse you, reject you, and eventually even crucify you. And Jesus said, I'll do that. Because mutual submission is the most powerful relational dynamic in the world. And that's what 
God used to get you and me back. So yes, you might have to do more laundry. Yes, your kids might take for granted everything you're doing. Yes, men, we might have to set up Ikea furniture and there no, there's going to be not enough parts or too many parts and like it's not what you want to be doing on Saturday. But the good news is, is you probably won't have to die for your family. Mutual submission is the most powerful relational dynamic in the world. Ask the question, what can I do to help? This is just the beginning. This, this sermon is just the beginning. We're really excited for the weeks to come. There's so much practical, wonderful, awesome, hard to hear at times, but good to know material coming up. Please don't miss it. Please don't miss the rest of home for the holidays. Let me say a prayer for us. God, I know I, I, know I pray this a lot recently, but thank you for... Thank you for being the type of leader that, that you ask us to do things that, that you are willing to do yourselves, you, yourself, that you are willing to, to submit to us in order to win us back. Some of us, Lord, our marriage is not in a good place. Our families are, are, are toxic environments. And there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And for the person who's overwhelmed this morning, and I know there's, there's, a, there's a lot of us, if, if we're overwhelmed by the mess of our family, I pray that we could find courage and inspiration in what you've done for us. The fact that you're willing to lay down your life for us, and I pray that, that in, in exchange we would be willing to lay down our lives for others, especially the people we love the most. Be with us in the weeks to come. Help us to, to become more like you and to become more like your son. In your name, amen.